and welcome to another Tap Talks HR podcast. Today I'm talking to Kate Faxon, Organizational Development and Culture Specialist. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the Tap Talks HR podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. So, Kate, today we're going to talk about the great work you are part of at WEN, the Women in Higher Education Network, and a specific project you are currently working on. So do you want to kick off by start uh, by telling the listeners actually what WEN is all about? Yeah, sure. So um, WEN is a network for all women who are working in higher education across the UK. And when we talk about women, we basically mean anyone who's not a a cis uh, male. Uh, So it includes non-binary people and trans women who are comfortable in a all women uh, environment. Uh, Our aim is to propel women to achieve their ambitions and enable universities and the higher education sector to accelerate change. So, uh, the reason that we came together in the first place uh, was that um, I, I worked at UCL, which is University College London. I worked alongside someone called Alice Chilver, who also worked at UCL. Um, and she created a um, staff network for women working in professional services in our university. So we found that there were a lot of um, networks for academic women, but there wasn't one yet for professional services. Uh, that was called Australia. And after Alice had run Australia for a while, um, she realised that actually this could be really beneficial across the whole sector. So she stopped focusing on Australia and she started focusing on how to create a network across the sector. Um, so then in order to get it up and running, we had a really amazing chief operating officer um, who um, decided, you know, who was going to um, enable us to launch by um, funding some uh, work for us. Um, but she also then made us rethink the professional services only aspect of it. And she um, rightly suggested that actually there's no um, uh, sector-wide women-only um, network so that we should therefore do it for all women working in higher education, not just the professional services. So that was in 2018 that we actually launched. And we've now got to the point where we have four paid members of staff on our team uh, and we deliver their um, we deliver their wages um, through um, programs such as um, our career accelerators. Um, the annual conference and our pioneering 100 Black Women Professors Now program. That's fantastic. So it's great that it's uh, it's five years down the line already. From such a nuclear beginning, you've gone into something that's now across the sector. So you mentioned a project or two you're working on at the moment. So do you want to let us know a bit more about that actual project around 100 Black Women Professors Now? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so the 100 Black Women Professors Now. Um, is a pioneering project. It's the first of its kind in the UK, and it's specifically about addressing systemic failures um, and barriers that mean that Black women aren't able to reach professor level in universities compared to people of other genders and ethnicities. So the reason that it came about was because Alice, who I mentioned earlier, had read an 
um, a report by someone called Dr. Nicola Rollock called Staying Power. Uh, and she found that in 2018, there were only 25 black British female professors in the UK universities. So that's the smallest group of professors, both in terms of race and gender. Um, and when you work it out uh, compared to the 12,500 white men professors, uh, it's about equivalent to somewhere between 0.1 and 0.2% of that total number of professors are, are black women. And that's just not okay. And so um, in Nicola Rollick's report, she, she suggested uh, lots of things that the sector could do. And when being a champion for women in the sector felt that this is something that we would love to get involved with. And so we did, we got involved. Um, we worked with um, universities. So we got some pilot universities who we worked really closely with um, by um, identifying key people in, in those universities who had to be involved. So it wasn't just being involved with black women academics. It was also being involved with um, vice chancellors and, you know, HRDs and heads of department and all of these people who had a really important role in supporting women to uh, progress their career in academia. So that's interesting. I mean, just pulling you back, I mean, that those numbers, like 25 black British female professors out and compared to 12,500 white men, I can see it, initially I thought going from 25 to 100 is a massive kind of leap in numbers. That's like 400 percent. And I was thinking, why would you set such a harsh target? But then when you see what what the comparative 12,500 white men professors, it's almost like that's actually a drop in the ocean to try and get parity inside of the sector. So was there any other drivers to, to why you thought that, that this was the target, black women professors, or was it just driven purely by this number? So mainly by the number, and you're right, you know, um, um, looking for a 400% increase does sound... Um, aspirational but it is necessary and so that's why we aimed for it um we've given ourselves uh, five years at the time so when we made that uh, commitment we gave ourselves five years to attain it and we still really hope that we will make it i think we're on 45 black women professors at the moment not all down to us but you know we would like to take some credit um uh, and then specifically the black the black women so not not looking at Asian um, women or other uh, ethnicities was actually quite a controversial decision because a lot of people are used to working with the umbrella term BAME and, you know, they're all minoritized. So why wouldn't we support all of them? But actually looking at the figures, the figures very clearly stated that the people that we have to support the most are um, black women. Uh, so that's uh, women from um, Africa and Afro-Caribbean um, uh, ethnicities. And, and I suppose, uh, I mean, thinking if you by streamlining it right down, you can actually get to real tight causes. Uh, if I think around the work of uh, by 
Kimberly Crenshaw around intersectionality from the 80s onwards. Um, actually, it's not just about, you think about the WEN network, you think about men versus women, male, female, but then you think actually white versus black. There's there's two things going on there. So I can imagine if you then start to put an extra and extra layers on different challenges, then it would become too complex to achieve such a magnificent result in five years. So is that yeah. something that went along the lines here? It's interesting because I was checking my figures earlier before having this conversation, uh, just to be sure. <laughs> uh, and I was looking at the HACER data, which is where, you know, it's like um, uh, where published data on the sector. Um, and I was just double checking that. Um, and I noticed that they didn't do any intersectional uh, reporting as, as standard. They look at how many women professors there are. They look at how many black compared to Asian and compared to other minoritized groups there are, but they don't look at black women. That's why it took someone like Dr. Nicola uh, Rollock to actually do a research project into it for this, um, you know, shocking number to be um, identified. And I think you can then say, well, that shows a challenge in other sectors as well, because we're talking obviously around the education sector here. And actually, I love academia and I use a lot of their work in some of the white papers I do. And I love the fact that there's this very altruistic, we would go and do some research in this area because that's what we love to do. But if you think there's other sectors probably got these challenges that probably don't even have half the data that you've been able to get hold of. So, So it's almost like the challenges are even greater outside the sector, albeit you've got your own magnificent challenge here. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have um, gender pay gap reports, but again, they don't look intersectionally. They only look at through one lens at a time. And I think that's where some of the um, shocking um, statistics are hidden. Yeah, so maybe one of the calls from this, actually, if you're successful for what you do, which I'm sure you will be in the next five years, is actually we need therefore data to start backing up this and actually the data becomes almost too simplistic with the complex issues that you have so i, I want to move on because this is really interesting and it's like it sounds like a really um groundbreaking project that you're on here so so what were the what was why how did we become groundbreaking you mentioned bringing in a vice chancellor do you want to give us a bit more about how this really started moving within the sector yeah, th- thanks for reminding me um, about that. So, um, yeah, I mentioned that we were talking that we were working with the black academic women themselves and we were working with their line managers as well as institutional leaders. Our reason for doing that is um, we know that the problem isn't with black women. The problem is with the system that they are in, the, the system they find themselves in. So, in other words, higher education sector. Um, And so what we did, we were the first group to focus exclusively on the most underrepresented and disadvantaged groups, so specifically black women, those of African dysphoria. Um, We were also the first and only sector-wide solution that addresses the issue and recommendations from that report that I mentioned earlier called Staying Power. Um, and I still think more people should have uh, should be um, reading that and, you know, thinking about ways to improve it. Um, and we were the first to bring together peer groups from multiple universities to facilitate cross institutional learning, um, as well as being the first to focus on systemic change in action. So 
we recognize the problems not with black women specifically it's um it's from all the biases and you know unconscious or conscious and um microaggressions and um everyday racism that they face within their institutions and that's what we wanted to address um and we felt as um you know alice um as a white woman um and you know she built a, a team around her of a lot of black women to help her do this because you know it's not for um white women to say how this should be done um and we ended up with this really um powerful co-created um sister systematic change um program that that's really um proved to be super uh, empowering for all the women who've been involved in it but also for the leaders themselves Fantastic. So it's interesting that you're, you're kind of coming at it from two angles. And for all those listeners out there, I'm waving my arms around as I'm saying this. It's, it's almost like you're coming from the angle of actually supporting black women becoming professors, but then also looking at the system and trying to that wall of water that's like holding uh, people back. How much proportion of effort do you think WEN is doing in each of those two areas? Is it more about the supporting of the black women to try and get those professor things? Or do you think that there's more effort needs to go into the wall of water system that's currently in place? Yeah, so we had two streams. We had the, the stream that we're focusing on the academic cohort. And we know that um, uh, whilst we didn't want to... Um, say that the problem was with them, we could still do stuff to help them. Um, and so we were doing things like um, we ran personal insights for them, career planning, career coaching and career strategies so that they could be really purposeful about um, uh, their academic career as something that they took responsibility for um, and that they could challenge if they didn't think it was um, being applied um, equitably. And then the university system itself. So um, we wanted to um, develop more inclusive leadership, um, action learning, and we really wanted to deliver that change. So, you know, there was this one session where we brought together the, the black women academics to have a really frank and open conversation with their university leaders about what it feels like to be a black woman academic and the barriers that they face. Because, you know, as um, many of the leaders just uh, didn't have any concept of uh, the barriers that they would face compared to non-black um um you know male um colleagues and that's really interesting isn't it because they're giving that exposure and insight into actually some of the examples of where people feel they're being held back that's not your traditional um uh, classroom stuff where people feel bad about things and actually giving them insight because you don't know what you don't know half the time and I think I believe in the goodness of human spirit that often pervades not always but often um and so actually giving that insight and I love the way you brought people together into that action learning also like that concept around it's almost like empowerment support and knowledge for the existing black women so that's fantastic so have you any kind of you spoke about the number gone up slightly and your hope that you were part of that number going up but have you got any kind of um other ideas of kind of impact that you're having at the moment or you want to have um in the in the coming months yeah so we did some uh, evaluation and um you know we evaluated we talked to the leaders of the university and asked them 
about the impact and 100% of them said it has made them more aware of the experiences of black women academics in the university. And that's the starting block really, isn't it? Just to make them open their eyes and ears and to um, understand the lived experience of, of black colleagues. Um, uh, 95% of them would recommend it to their, to other universities. 80% said the programme had supported them to identify actions that can change the status quo. Um, I mean, I could go on, but, you know, it's a lot of really nice headlines coming from the leaders. But then um, looking at the black women themselves, their feedback was really um, powerful as well. So when we did the evaluation, it was so that we could put together an impact report. So we did it before the end of the programme. Um, but even halfway through that pilot, 70% um, of the cohort felt that it already changed their attitude about their future career. 70% of them had felt that it had already accelerated their career progression. 65% um, of the cohort um, had or currently are considering uh, leaving academia. Uh, and we changed that. Okay, so that that number, that 65%, was, another, was um, a group of women that we really wanted to focus on. So people who had thought about leaving academia or were actively thinking about leaving academia, we want academia to be um, a welcoming place where people can thrive of all ethnicities and genders. So um, we worked specifically with them and we found um, that of that group now, 85% of the women are more likely to remain because of the programme, um, which I mean that for us, that's, that's a big um, win for us. I mean, that's fantastic stat, that last one, isn't it? Because actually, if, you had, if you're focusing on a group of people who'd had bad experiences or enough experiences that they were thinking about, I'm teetering towards moving on. And from that, um, like the vast majority are thinking more likely to remain. I mean, hmm. that's a, a good experience for people. And as you say, then you have to work on the system to make sure uh, it's not just a, it's like the whole diversity and inclusion bit, isn't it? You can recruit diversity, but actually it's changing. It's getting the right culture and system inside that creates the inclusion and that ability to thrive. So fantastic. I mean, I mean, it sounds like you're you're loving what you're doing, and the WEN network is going from strength to strength from a standing start in five years five years ago. So I suppose that there's a question, the very very short question I can ask, but probably might have a lengthy answer. I don't know. Is what next uh, for the WEN network? Uh, what what are you working on now? How are you, is it this project that you're going to work on, or is there anything else coming down the line? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll say that, but I'll do the um, you know post match um, favorite and just um, point out that this is not me. I've not done this. This is um, a huge amount of women working together to get this project um, um, delivered. So, you know, I'm sharing it from my perspective of it um, because I'm really proud of, of when and because of my involvement with when. But um, yeah, it's definitely not my project. Um, many kudos to um, everyone who's put in a huge amount of work um, to get this delivered. So what next? Um, we, we are now um, about to launch um, the next cohort. So from January uh, to December 2023, we are running cohort number two. We've got eight universities uh, lined up to be part of that. 79 black women academics uh, from PhD to senior academics. So we're, talk we're looking at the whole pipeline. 
Um, we've got 130 stakeholders engaged and we will start very, very soon, um, I think this month, enrolment for the 2024 cohort. Um, in terms of other stuff that WEN are up to, we've got our annual conference taking part in, um, not taking part, uh, running in June, June the 27th. And that's like, it's always such an amazing event, but this time we're going back to being in person. So it'll be, um, yeah, really celebratory and amazing space to be in. Um, and we're also continuing to run career accelerators, which are for all women working in higher education. Um, and it's kind of like not looking at the systemic change that we did with um, 100 black women professors now, but the women focused work. So, you know, doing things like career coaching and um, career strategies with them. And it's always such an amazing um, thing to be involved with, because, you know, when you see other women having light bulb moments because of you know the way that you've presented something to them it's just hugely um rewarding and fulfilling yeah, it's fantastic i know from my own coaching experiences when you get that aha moment and that limiting belief is removed and and people can see the potential of themselves it, it's, it's almost like you, you have an inner glow that you you some part a conduit to help that to happen mm -hmm. and I love your post-match interview there Kate about and I know a, a few other people on the WEN network and you are all as humble as everything and I, and, and I think that what makes the, the WEN network so great because actually it is whenever you ask anyone it's always it's because together as a collective we will work and I think that's a lot of organizations could probably take a, a page out of your book for that one um, and you're talking about eight universities this year so I suppose the challenge out there is to all those other universities and yes I'm talking to you right now um, you, you should get in contact with when and actually um, take part in this great initiative so so with that in mind Kate we're almost out of time now but I think you've kind of got enough time for a bit of a plug so if people wanted to find out more about the women in higher education network where do they go how do they do that perfect so um, the website is whenequality.org which is very easy to remember. Um, and for women working in higher education, it's free to join. So there's absolutely no reason not to join. Um, but we also love to hear from partner institutions about, um, about how we can support them. And obviously, if you wanted to be involved in uh, the 2024 cohort of uh, 100 Black women professors now, um, then that is, um, yeah, we'll soon be opening the books on that. So get in touch. Fantastic. And Kate, thank you ever so much for your time. You've really brought this work you're doing to life and also the history of where you came from to where you are now. And I'm sure when we talk in five years time, it's going to be absolutely massive when and everyone's going to be involved. Um, so thank you very much for your time on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks so much. No worries. And just to remind you all, that was whenequality.org. There you are, plug number two for you. Um, so that's it for this time on this podcast. If you've enjoyed this, you can find out, uh, find all of our other podcasts at tapsolutions.com, along with our insight reports and white papers, including stuff from academia that we pull in to support some of those people issues. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you on another Tap Talks HR podcast soon. Bye for now.